welcome listeners, one and all. Welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And we are hitting the racetrack this week with episode two, Off to the Races. So starting out here with some period drama news, this Regency dating show, The the Courtship, what does everybody think about it? Has anyone seen it? I think um, there's been some talk about how the Regency era has been turned in, because of Bridgerton, has been turned into a fantasy compared to Jane Austen. And now Regency is synonymous with fantasy and uh, this prince and princess type thing where people get together through true love and fairy tale ending every time. And so this courtship show is just like an oversized version of Bridgerton in the real world because it's like it's combining The Bachelor, I think, and a couple other dating shows and then putting it in a really bad version of the Regency era. And I'd just be interested, has anyone watched it? Originally, it was on NBC. And apparently, after like the first two episodes, they pulled it off the network. So I I don't know, maybe it didn't work. Maybe, maybe people were like, you know what, seeing this in real life, I'm not interested. So I don't know. My sister said she's watched a couple episodes, but I don't know what she thinks of it. Some people have said it's really cheesy, but I've not heard much how, more than how that. How would it be anything except cheesy? Well, I think people are expecting that, but it's as if people don't want to see it in real life. With The Bachelor, at least it seems like it's it's grounded in you know the modern world as opposed to the courtship where everything is pretend regency and everyone knows watching the show when these people come out of this environment it's not going to be like this and so they think it's disingenuous or too over the top i don't know i mean that's interesting because every dating show ever is constructed and it isn't real i know but i even get sucked into things like the bachelor and i'm like no this is true love right here i know these people are meant to be and then they break up two weeks later but it it sucks you in so i'm just surprised that that show hasn't sucked people in yeah i don't i don't know i think it's interesting because in some ways all regency things that are made now is fantasy just in the same way that every spy novel is fantasy when you get down to it spy worlds don't exist 007 you know yeah all of those things they don't really exist like that it's all fantasy it's just wish fulfillment and these regency shows uh, wish fulfillment in a different direction yeah when you when you talk about something like jane austen and like the novels because they were written around the time period we can consider them much more based in reality despite the fact that they're still fiction right whereas anything we create today of a, of a historical period by definition has to be somewhat fantastic absolutely my phd is a little bit on that and i won't bore people on that but absolutely it's it's this thing of we are creating a fake version of authenticity there's no way we can recreate what happened before there's no way we can really know what it was like to live back then so we create this version we're like ooh, this has to be at least authentic in some way and it's not there's I mean, no way I, it's it's ludicrous to me that people think that we could do that for you know, something in the the 1800s when we can't even do that for the 1990s. Yeah, that's true. People think that the 90s were amazing. Well, and that's not to say that the 90s weren't good, but I I think there's always going to be a thing about nostalgia where when you're living through it, it feels one way. And then afterwards, 
you feel another thing for it, even through the tough times? Well, I'm, I'm not saying that the 90s were particularly tough either. It's just, I think, looking back on it with these rose-tinted glasses is the same as looking back on the 1800s and going, ooh. <laughs> right, when when literally people could die from being stung by a bee, relevant. But <laughs> yeah. like we, we do see these kind of eras as kind of romantic and fairy tale like There's a lot of people that are like, I was just born in the wrong era. It's like... You could have died by being stung by a bee. Or of tuberculosis or... Childbirth or, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, some things being really simple, the, a, a common cold. So, but we, we kind of big those things up. Speaking of that, though, on the other end of things, I am excited to see all these pictures that people have been posting about the Bridgerton live experiences. I don't know if you've heard of this at all. Yes, me. I hear about everything that happens outside so... of the TV show. <laughs> So it seems really cool, though. I'm not poo-pooing us, you know, having these Bridgerton experiences, as long as people realize that it is all fantasy and things. There is a Bridgerton live experience, and they did, it's a ball, and I think they did one in London, and then the last one that just happened was in LA. And I joined a Facebook group, and it's like Bridgerton costuming or something, and people are sharing the most amazing photos from the experience and videos and stuff. It is massive and if you think of how over the top the show is that's what this experience looks like i've never seen like a regency ball before a reenactment i've never seen anything this big i mean it's huge i don't know what the ticket prices are on these things but it seems amazing so if if you're somebody that's gone to one of these and you're a listener then please share some photos on the facebook group i would love to see your costumes I'd love to see what the experience was like. Tell us everything. So if you're not um, joined in our group, it is facebook.com slash Regency Rumors. With a U. With a U, the British style. So we have fun on there. I share stuff. We just had a we just had a member share this really cool thing where her daughter, she had put her daughter in kind of a Regency style dress and then compared it to Daphne's. And then the writer, Julia Quinn, recaptioned it on Instagram. You'll have to check it out. It's really cute. But yeah, Julia Quinn like reshared her picture of her daughter kind of looking like a a Daphne mini-me. It was really fun. So first for the recap, let's hit the racetrack. It's a race against love. I wrote these and it's very cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) So Anthony keeps getting blocked by Kate to court her sister. So he hatches. He hatches a sinister plan to meet up with the girls at a local race. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sinister? I think it's a bit sinister, his plan. It is not sinister. It's sinister. He has ulterior motives. Okay, ulterior motives and sinister are very different. You're making it sound like he's planning on kidnapping her. I think he could have gotten desperate enough just to have alone time with Edwina to, like, pull her to the side where Kate couldn't find her, and that could be a definition of kidnapping. Moving on. So he hatches a sinister plan to meet up with the girls at a local race where he encourages his friend Thomas Dorset to distract Kate while he tries to make a great impression on Edwina. We also meet the new Lord Featherington, a brash and over-the-top entrepreneur who is back from running his ruby mines over in the U.S. And he's got a really big collection of uh, deer heads all over the wall, which Lady Featherington really loves. Oh, that was an amazing scene. (laughs) I absolutely love that. So the whole Featherington clan is excited he's finally here, but there's something off with him. 
In the middle of the horse race, the horses are riding neck to neck, and Kate and Anthony begin to loudly bicker, and no one around them can keep up. After the races, Kate finds out about Anthony's scheme and tells him once and for all to stay away from her sister. Yeah, good luck with that. So over at the unnamed, poor and dark part of London that no one knows where it is, but it's always dark and raining, Eloise's obsession with Lady Whistledown has grown, and she's on the hunt for the writer's printer, where she meets a printer's assistant, Theo Sharp. It seems as if he can spar with her on women's rights. Interesting for Eloise. Over at the Bridgertons, Anthony is fencing with his brothers and surprisingly more focused on Kate than he is her sister. Later that night, he attempts to take the attention away from the other men and catch Edwina with honest words at a soiree. Much to Kate's chagrin, it works. For two people who hate each other, however, Kate and Anthony can't seem to keep their eyes off each other, no matter who's in the room. Don't you love the way I wrote those? <laughs> yeah. So cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so initial reactions to this episode. I like how we're seeing this change around from Anthony last season, where he was the gatekeeper for Daphne, and now Kate is the gatekeeper for her sister, and he's having to, like, watch what it's like from the other side as he's trying to pursue her, I mean, trying to pursue Edwina, and Kate is like, uh, no, this is about my sister, uh, you're not good enough for her, and he's kind of having to see it on the other side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And it's got to be frustrating for him as well, because obviously he already thinks he's good enough. Someone like Anthony and the place he is in life, because he's not trying to find the love of his life, he's just trying to have a woman fill this role of all the things he wants from her. He thinks that he doesn't have to change anything about himself to find this woman. She just has to slip right into his life. He doesn't have to change anything about himself or adjust his life in any way. He just thinks that, like, well, why does she think I'm not good enough? I'm just ticking a box. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't necessarily think that he thinks he's perfect. No, but I think he thinks he's, like, good enough. Well, yeah, of course, like, because everybody says that he's the most eligible bachelor that season. And he's a Viscount, and he's the oldest, and he knows he's good looking, and I just think he thinks he doesn't have anything to work on, because the only time you have to work on those kinds of things is when you're, like, in a serious relationship with someone, but if it's just this pragmatic equal partnership, well, yeah, that'd be it. Like, yeah, why would he think that he needs to change? He's, he's not thinking of this as a relationship. He's just yeah. thinking of it as a marriage. Yeah. Like in in a eighteen hundreds marriage sense, rather than a modern one. So like, I'm kind of glad you said it in a way because um, the the changes in him this season are one of the main things that I think I focused on. The characterization in this season was much much better, and the focus on developing the characters. So I think in this episode we're kind of starting to see some of those shifts. As you know, as you shift a character from a background, ca well, not necessarily background, but secondary character to the protagonist or the main character, you really do have to make some like strong decisions on what are you bringing to the forefront? What are you changing from before? You know, how are we seeing this character differently now that we're seeing it through their eyes? How do they grow as a person? Yeah, because, you know, if a character doesn't change from the start of your story to the end of your story, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So we need to establish that right at the beginning, that there's some growing for him to do, that there's some change that he will undergo. I mean, the same can be said for Kate, obviously. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of 
set up here for the whole enemies thing that we I were mean, talking about last episode. Kate, on the other end of things, she thinks that she's kind of got this whole moving to England and settling into the town and high society figured out. She's read all the books. She's prepared herself. Yeah. And she's just going to get it point. sorted out for her sister. And it's not until she meets with Lady Danbury, and that's, that was a really fun scene, where she realizes, like, oh, like, maybe I don't know everything. And Lady Danbury well, points it out, too, where Lady Danbury's like, you don't know everything. Yeah, so, I, I think that she still thinks, at this point, she still thinks she knows everything, despite being told that she doesn't. Mm. And it takes another little episode or two, maybe, for that to really settle in. So, Jack Featherington finally shows up and this last episode where they've been like waiting around for him yeah. to show up and they were getting scared i think that maybe he didn't even exist and in some ways i like when we first started watching this i thought maybe penelope has used her money to hire a guy that doesn't really exist to... oh yeah do you remember me saying I remember that you saying and that, i yeah. thought maybe that's where her money's going where she's hired this guy to pretend like he's a family member so that her sister can get married and have a dowry and she can then funnel that money through this man who she's hired for a season in life which i thought was a would have been a clever idea but instead he's just some another <laughs> some boring cousin that now he's got sinister <laughs> he's got sinister things about him yes but it just uh it just does show how vulnerable women are with male patriarchs coming in it's understandable to me why women like lady featherington would get conniving it's not right but it's almost as if it's the only way to, for her to have some sort of control over her her household is to kind of scheme behind his back and scheme behind closed doors and that sort of thing now that he's there she doesn't have control of what happens around her house what happens with the finances how long it's going to take for her daughter to be able to get married everything now is controlled by him and so I can see why some women would get to that point of doing that. It's not right, but I see where that comes from, I guess, through her mm. actions. Yeah, I think as a as a family, as a, you know, a set of characters, the Featheringtons are really interesting in that regard. And this season, it showed that, I think, really well. Obviously, the first season had some really interesting Featherington moments as well. But there were certain moments, particularly in the first half of this season, where I kept, like, banging my head against the wall, being like, why are they doing this? <laughs> oh, man. And the Featheringtons, like, you feel, I felt, that there were certain moments when they were just being dumb. And then... It wasn't until much later on you go, oh, well, no, they weren't. They would. It's just like, it's part of their personality, really. It's, yeah. you know, this insistence on like brand new dresses and, and whatnot that the Featheringtons have always had. You're kind of like, why? Like, if you've not got the money, you've not got the money or whatever. Um, and so some of those moments, you know, when they're waiting for yeah, the new Lord Featherington to arrive and they're kind of like wanting to spend all this money and things, but they can't. Like, part of that was really frustrating. Um, but I think it does make for an interesting arc within the season. Yeah, well, I, I, and we'll talk about this at a later date, but I think Lady Featherington's story throughout this, really re redeeming. And I, I think she's one of my favorite aspects of this second season is what ends up happening with her at the end. Yeah. I, I end up going, she has a heart and she has a soul and she actually cares about her daughters at the end of the day. And even though she runs around and a lot of this is silliness, she cares. And I really liked that. I yeah. think that was good. Good yeah. on the writers. Some good strength there. So Anthony manipulated the situation with Jack and Kate. <sighs> In a situation like this, it can... Wait, it, was it 
Jack? Yeah, the, the friend's name was Jack, I thought. Is his name not Jack? Earlier I thought you called him something else. Uh, Thomas. Maybe it was Thomas. Why did I write Jack? Who Who's Jack? Jack Featherington. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so his name is Tom. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. maybe. He was the a friend, side character. The, yeah, we don't need to know the his name. The friend from college. We all have one of those. Um. So, yeah, Anthony manipulated the situation with Kate and his friend. So in a situation like this, I feel like it can look funny and harmless, but in kind of a club situation where this happens with guys, it can be scary. And men just should not do this. This I, I feel like there's one thing to kind of have the wingman situation where you have a friend that kind of hypes you up a bit. It's another thing to create an entire like narrative where you go into a social situation with a friend and say, this is what's going to happen. I need you to separate these women from each other. That's not cool, and it it can be scary okay, when so, there's like alcohol involved and all those different things. So, well, uh, okay, so I'm now, not a fan of this. Now that you say it that way, I can see why you described it as sinister. Because yes, when you describe it that way, it, like it does sound worse when he's like, "Yeah, right, okay, you need to separate these women so I can have some alone time." I mean, we like, know that Anthony doesn't have terrible things on his mind other than just talking to Edwina, but it is manipulative. Oh, 100% it's manipulative. It would probably have been just as effective if he'd come up with Thomas Dorset, I think, um, yeah. and said, oh, hey, here's my friend. <laughs> and then Thomas started talking to Kate. Like, you know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that would have been just as useful from Anthony's point of view. If he didn't plan that and, and he and just if brought he a friend. didn't pretend that he didn't know this person, you know? And like told his friend beforehand. Yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that's like, mm, like he told the friend beforehand. So they had this whole plan, you know? And that's that's the, the skeevy part really, isn't yeah. it? Badly, yeah. Badly, badly done, Anthony. Yeah. And I think one of the kind of, one of the interesting things about that situation, um, which isn't, it's not quite the same, it's tangential, but the... um. I don't remember the character's name, but the one that was supposed to be taking Edwina to the races. Yes. And the way that Anthony manipulated that guy <laughs> yes. to get him out. But that... He's charming, though. That's no, the thing. No, it's it, so it, wasn't, bad. it wasn't even charming. It wasn't. It was, it was just that other guy being as dumb as a brick. <laughs> and then, like, he's just, like, he's sycophantic. <laughs> you know? Like, you know, he, he, he didn't have two pennies to rub together <laughs> and then you know anthony's like oh uh, you know maybe some lemonade for the ladies the guy's like oh yes definitely <laughs> i shall go and get some lemonade and then he comes back and he's like i shall sit at the end it's it's okay that he's now sat there in the middle like how did i i don't know it just it was really funny yeah um and that was just again it was part of the manipulation i he was he wasn't necessarily manipulating the guy as so much he, as he was kind of taking advantage of the guy's like idiocy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and I feel like the annoying thing is is those type of guys are attractive. They are like those guys Wait, which types of guys? Like Anthony where he he kind of gets in the middle and he wants to talk to you and he acts super focused on you and he kind of it's kind of this bad boy thing. It's terrible because it's just it's a it is attractive, but then in the back of your mind you always know like if this guy can do this to me, he's probably done it to five other women. You know, it's kind of that thing of like somebody comes up to you at the gym and says you look good or 
that you're lifting yeah, weights. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> But you're lifting weights really good and they're like really talkative and charming and yada yada. And it's like in the back of your mind, you're like, how many other women has he also done this to? So it is one of those things that women can fall for, but it never really lasts. Like he'll he either will have to become a real person at some point and she'll see his flaws. And I mean, Edwina, that's one of the aspects I found really interesting. Like he kept doing all this stuff and she just was kind of like, yeah, like him, want him, cool. But at some point, if they would have gotten married, she obviously would have seen his true colors. She obviously would have seen he's not charming all the time and he's not going to be pursuing her that hard all the time once they're married. And so, like, what kind of marriage would they have had? As much as the bad boys can be really alluring, don't fall for them, ladies. Go for a good, boring I don't know how offended I should have been at that statement. <laughs> like, kidding. either you're calling me a bad one and for people to stay away, <laughs> or you're calling me a boring one. And so I'm it's not. like, you know, it's it's a real backhanded I love compliment. You so there. much. I'm not so certain. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have a wife for sale. So, like, going on from that scene at the races where Anthony's, like, charming and over the top, it also happens again at the soiree where he shows up and he's... It was actually pretty oh, funny. He shows up and and that. he's asked Benedict to write him a poem. Yeah. And then he gets there and gallantly, he's like, oh, no, I don't need this. I just want to speak from the heart. Dang it. Again, it's it's like... I think men think women want poetry and the overtures and whatever. And really all women want is that is like, I mean, I think at this point it was fake honesty for him, but really in terms of him saying it to Edwina, it was fake. Yeah. Ah, uh, Okay. But I saw that scene differently. Okay. Okay. Interesting. No, because at that point, I think that's the first time he notices that, uh-oh, I have feelings for the sister. Because there were there were a few things that they did where he looks over at Kate and Kate's looking at him. Yeah. And you, you're like... The, I mean, I thought it was a tactic. I definitely didn't see it as a tactic. I did just see it as him being like... So, okay, so the tactic for me was when he went to Benedict and said, hey, I really need an awesome yeah. poem. And Benedict like says this thing and he writes it down and Anthony's like, yeah, perfect. That's exactly what women want. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets there, he starts reading it and he realizes he's reading it like a bit of an idiot. You know, he's never read poetry before. And then he throws it in the fire and like, he's like, oh man, I'm an idiot. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do this. Part of that moment is when he's speaking to Edwina, I think part of him is like, uh oh, I don't, I don't really feel this for you. I feel it for her. Well, I... I did write down here, it was never really about the poetry. When does that, like, it melts the women's hearts and things because it's not about the poetry, it's about the honesty. I would much rather you say a bunch of things that are true about the way you feel about me than I would you copying someone else's poetry just for poetry's sake, right? Like, and most women are like that. Unfortunately for, for Anthony, it was misplaced honesty, so... Hmm. While it could have been honest from his heart, it was misplaced on Edwina, right? Like, yeah, it it was aimed at the wrong, at the wrong crowd. Person. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it it was a cute it was a cute scene, and I definitely think it's the first thing that kind of opened things up for him and Kate. Yes. But I mean, what a what a mess. I know, but I think just to talk about that soiree in general for a moment, <laughs> that was absolutely hilarious. When you know it starts off as a poetry reading. And Lady Danbury's like watching these guys 
with magic tricks and like a the singing a, a, and a, a hula hoop or whatever it was and she's just <laughs> looking at them and she's like what are you doing and then she like cut things short yeah, and she's like, like okay that's over. that's over um oh man that was so funny that i think that was I think that was one of the moments from the season that I I really liked because it it showed some added depth to some of the characters. Yeah. And then it also had a bit of an added depth to the show with this like comedy element of like yes all the all the ladies sat there on the the couch and things <laughs> looking at the guys who by the way were stood in front of the hearth and were probably very 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 warm. Um, <laughs> but like you know they're just watching them with these like bemused expressions and like yes very good yes 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 clap 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 good job you're, you're like what what was that yeah <laughs> so i yeah. thought it was funny very funny very funny i also thought it was funny that anthony did all that and his mother's also in the room i was like mm. <laughs> yeah. i just feel like i feel like if if that happened in real life and some guy was going to do poetry and then he like did that in front of his mother i just would be like okay <laughs> And then it was also funny. He wasn't even invited in the first place, was he? He just showed up. He goes, oh, yes, my I think my invite got lost in the mail or oh, something. Oh, yeah. I mean, just how brash he is. But that's what I'm saying. It's attractive. Like, you want a guy to be like, you didn't invite me? I'm coming anyways. I don't you, know. To me, that's do. just a little bit too arrogant. No. No. Is that it's just a, a Britishness It's a bad boy thing. Uh, it's terrible. But Bad boys? No. No. It's terrible, but I, I get it. <laughs> hey, that's why I'm the boring one. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so um, one of the other main moments from this episode um, was the Queen setting up the, oh, well, not setting up, but kind of trying to figure out the different girls who could be Lady Whistledown or, but yeah, spreading false information um, in order to try and entrap Lady Whistledown. I think it was clever. Yeah. It was really good. He was, she was like spreading different information between her staff to to say at these events and i was like okay this i really thought it didn't really go anywhere to be fair but i really i really thought that it would trap penelope yes and that there would be something that would at least get her way closer to who lady whistledown was the queen to who lady whistledown was and so but it doesn't because it actually leads her towards eloise that's who the staff think when when she's running off I mean, it makes sense. She keeps going to the literal location that Penelope is printing her book. So it it makes sense. It's it's not as if they're not on the right path. But I really thought that that would something would happen where that would catch catch up with Penelope and it didn't. But I, I think that was yeah. a really fun plot point that the queen was trying to spread this false information. And it also can be said a lot for our world today. So... Yay, misinformation. Misinformation. Okay, so it is that time of the uh, episode where we're going to kind of talk about history moments. For this for this episode, um, I found out some information here about fencing in the Regency era because of the scene we had with the brothers um, fencing with one another. When Anthony was complaining about Kate and Benedict was very amused. <laughs> I think they both were, weren't they? Yeah. Um, Colin and Benedict kind of looking at each other like, is he serious? Like, does mm-hmm. he not realize what he's doing? It's funny because it's like everybody besides Kate and Anthony see <laughs> the way that they're being about each other. Uh, so. and there's a moment later in the in the season which kind of epitomizes that. And I'll probably bring it up when we get to that one. So, um kind of talking about fencing generally then so fencing particularly the modern olympic version 
has its origins in the late 15th century. So citizens were allowed to carry swords. Um, their weapon of choice at that point was the rapier. Um, however, by the early 17th century, fashions had changed and the relatively large rapier was switched out for a slender, smaller blade, which was called a small sword or a court sword. So small swords were short, thin, with triangular blades and ended in a very sharp point, um, but they often didn't have an edge. Um, this you know, isn't exactly the weapon that the brothers were using in the episode. Um, what, because I, I, I paused it, I tried to, you know, zoom in a little bit, as it were, to, to, to see how accurate they were being with these fencing weapons. And it looked like they were kind of more likely using um, a foil, which is a bit more of a modern um, weapon than the small sword. And it definitely is not a rapier, which is much more of a kind of a military blade. So the whole point of fencing really was to um, practice for the duel, um, originally anyway. And the foil and, and the kind of the rapier that it kind of evolved from was a slender weapon. And they were made for thrusting attacks because you could very quickly end a duel by stabbing someone rather than trying to kind of really cut them open or anything. You know, it's much more gentlemanly that way or whatever. So the foil that they use in fencing is a kind of made of a soft blunt steel which allows it to kind of flex quite a lot and the blade if you can really call it that is a cylindrical so it doesn't have an edge at all um for fencing the tip is blunted and kind of covered with a small piece of leather as well and um, which you can see in this episode if you pause at certain points there's like a brown tip to the to the um the foil and that is kind of it further cushions the blunted tip however that leather is not the protection that's just a, a cover so that tip is called a button tip and that's not to be confused with what is called the button um, which is a small disc at the top of the handle on a fencing foil today so as i said fencing like that was originally for kind of practicing for dueling um, you can compare it to modern martial arts. It's kind of a, a way to keep fit and healthy, as well as practice something that was for ostensibly self-defense. Because before pistols, duels were held at sword point. Um, obviously, last season, we talked about the duel with the pistols. Um, so we kind of talked about dueling and the history there. The rapier that we mentioned um, just before was the, uh, the sword of choice for duels um, before the pistol, and it's a slender thrusting weapon, again, um, used to settle these things rather quickly. So because the foil was still rather dangerous, I've found that there were quite a few accidents, even with these blunted tips, um, so that's why eventually fencing has the mesh um, mask that you'll see fencers wear today. Um, because you could still poke someone's eye out with oh. a piece of steel. Wow. Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, one thing that I thought was interesting that you know I saw when I was researching this is that fencing is the action or art of using the sword scientifically. Interesting. <laughs> Supposedly. Um, it was the gentleman's sport, a genteel art that formed an essential part of a man's education alongside dancing and music. Every representation that I've ever seen of fencing has always been some like Mary-Kate and Ashley type movie where it's a boarding school that Americans come to and like there's snotty British teenagers there mm. that are like, 
we're fencing. What do you want? Do you know, like, that's all I've ever known of fencing, for it to be some sort of, like, British private school uh, well, activity. Yeah. At least in, like, media and TV and stuff. So that's, it's just that's, funny. No, it's quite interesting because, really, fencing has still got that um, upper-class feel to it in some ways. I, I always wanted to do fencing when I was a kid. I thought it was kind of a really cool idea. Never got to do it. But, you know, that's just how life goes sometimes. I think one of the interesting things about it is it's difficult because it's it's been it's been sportified. Mm. Much... It's in the Olympics now. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been in the Olymp- Olympics for a while. But, yeah. you know, the Olympic style is so different from what you could have originally called fencing it's it's not even the same thing anymore that you know they use electrified foils so that if the tip of your foil or even like part of the blade touches your opponent on a place that you're allowed a point it will light up because the electricity will pass through their coat and oh i didn't know that yeah they're attached via um elasticated wires if you watch olympic fencing and so you know they move so fast and they whip those foils around so quickly literally they can use the bendiness of the foil to whip around their opponent's arm, for example, and hit the chest and score a point. They've turned it into a game where you're trying yeah. to hit the tip of your weapon against the body, as opposed to fencing originally, which was stab someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I said it's akin to modern martial arts. Um, something like Taekwondo, also in um, the Olympics, uh, has turned into more of a sport that version of it and so it's very different from what it was originally in- intended but still it's quite interesting um, and it's part of that the gentleman's education as i said and so that's obviously why the brothers were doing it because it's it's something that all young men of of that um, particular class should have been learned <laughs> it should have been, been learned should have been learned um, should have learned, sorry, and should have been uh, learning um, throughout their kind of childhood. So I think it was an interesting kind of look into that other aspect of... Because, you know, the women do the embroidery and all that kind of... And the, um, the art and the music and pianoforte. And the men do the fencing, but we haven't really seen that in the show so far. It uh, it was a fun scene, I think, and mm. a lot less drama than the uh, the duel of last season. Yes, yes. So we are going to wrap up now. Thank you for the history of fencing so i keep wanting to watch sanditon and i keep putting it off because i watched the first season and i was just so heartbroken about the way it ended and i won't put any spoilers but it's one of those things where i just am not emotionally ready to start sanditon and i don't know if anybody else is in the current season i've heard so many different things that it's good it's bad it's in the middle. People don't know what's going to happen with the main character, Charlotte. But I am excited that the show's back. I just don't know how to feel. There's all new characters and, and the dynamics have completely changed. So it's one of those shows that you've seen a couple of the episodes. I have, yeah. But you haven't seen everything. And I, that would be something that I would love for us to to recap and if if uh, people are big bridgerton fans you'll love sanditon sanditon's a, a bit more serious than bridgerton is but it's just as colorful and it does touch on a few things uh, like colonization and prejudices and those sorts of things a bit more than 
uh, than Bridgerton does, but it does it in such a a good a good way in a way that we can kind of learn from. I think um, you know you said it's just as colourful as Bridgerton, and from what I remember, it it is, but it's also not because Bridgerton has that kind of filter over yes. the top that we talked about last season. Yeah, and Sanditon doesn't have Sanditon that. Sanditon doesn't. But Sanditon's a different setting too, and Sanditon does really good with setting because it's by the seaside. It's kind of shows you this tourism culture in uh, the 1800s. And yeah, the rise of the kind of uh, Victorian-style seaside town. It's British culture. Yeah, like culture, the er- early versions of that. And so yeah. mm. um, it's really good. It's written by the same person that wrote the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, which the biggest, you know, Regency miniseries ever created. So Okay. Uh, same writer and he's wrote a lot of uh, regency related stuff so it's really good but i would love for us to to be able to to cover that which is why we have made a ko-fi um, and we would love you guys to join it is ko-fi.com slash regency rumors with a u and thank I, you i do want to point out because we haven't actually said this but ko-fi is k-o hyphen f I just yeah. just in case you've never heard of it. If you don't know what Ko-Fi is, it's similar to uh Patreon, but it's where you can give like one-off donations if you want. If you just really enjoy the podcast and you're like, "Hey, I'd like to to help you guys out," then you can give a dollar. A price of a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um yeah, Ko-Fi does that a lot where it's like, "Hey, would you like to buy them a cup of coffee if you enjoyed the podcast?" And it's like Yes, please. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it started. Yeah. Because obviously, Ko-Fi coffee. Um, it and I th- wasn't. Isn't the logo a coffee cup? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, anyways, we've joined there, and we do have like one membership tier, which has to do with um, extra episodes. And if you join that, you can help us decide what to cover. And one of the ones that we're considering covering is Sandton. So. Um, you can get on there and have your say on like what other period drama shows you'd like us to cover. So I, uh, I was reading kind of the beginning of this article. It was a, a Times article. It was Bridgerton versus Sanditon, the battle of the costume drama lightweights. So this article kind of goes in on how shows like Bridgerton and Sanditon think that they're amazing. The author said something like, it is difficult to describe exactly how much Bridgerton loves itself, but I'll try. It is practically <laughs> what? Excuse me. It is practically humping itself across the ornamental trestle work while feeding itself sugared almonds while whispering dance lessons begin at noon. I'll stop there. So this Wait, what? Yeah, so this author <laughs> is kind of just talking about how over the top something like Bridgerton is and how much it thinks it's so amazing and like so revolutionary and stuff and just kind of like poo-pooing these period dramas I'm seeing a a couple of different articles like that and it just really gets on my nerves there's no no one who watches Bridgerton no one who's involved in the making of Bridgerton thinks that Bridgerton is going to win any sort of awards no one is thinking that they know it's a fun show they know that it's meant to be light and airy and entertaining for people and that the drama is over the top. Nobody is thinking that this show is going to go win an Emmy. Yeah. And so it's just annoying that why even write an article like because, that? Because it gets people like you annoyed and you uh, click on it. <laughs> so true. I, it does get people like me annoyed because I'm like, 
for once, just let people enjoy something yes. that doesn't have like drugs and abuse in it. And well, I mean, that's uh, you know, I mean, I was being a, a little bit flippant. I mean, you are one hundred percent allowed to be annoyed at that article because I think that those articles are. I'm just gonna say it trash as well because it's they're genuinely just they're playing on your emotions in order to get clicks that's what it feels like yeah that person who whoever wrote that i don't know may genuinely think that but you know to then go and, and make a bunch of people try and feel bad it's just gatekeeping and it's just you don't need it anymore we had enough of that in the 80s 90s yeah. and before like these days people like what they like and can enjoy what they like with a bunch of like-minded people like this having a podcast about a show that is fun and light and airy there's nothing wrong with that and to try and shame people for liking it which is basically what the article is trying to do i just think is wrong it is just criticism of things that people like and it's also assuming that people are dumb assuming that yes. people <laughs> yeah. assuming that people think shows like sanditon or bridgerton are these massive works of art i don't think anyone sits around and thinks like you know what this is on on par with you know a national geographic documentary nobody but thinks that and so these people assuming that everyone thinks that they the whole point of something like bridgerton is escapism it says it out loud through the colors through the drama through yeah. the romance it says it so clearly bridgerton is about escapism we're allowed to like that without people poo-pooing it yeah but i mean even if but the thing is even if somebody did think that Bridgerton was high art, maybe it's the first Regency thing they've ever watched and they think it's amazing. Good for them. Yeah, they, you're right. You yeah. Know, like if somebody has um, entered into this genre for the first time ever because of Bridgerton, I mean, how many, however many people watched this thing more than anything else on Netflix. Yes, we should welcome those kinds of people. You know, there's a um, a comic series on the web i'm not sure if anyone's heard of it called xkcd um, and there's you know thousands of these comics and one of them is called the Ten Thousand. and basically it's this idea that every day going by statistics there are ten thousand people in the world finding out about a topic for the first time ever ten thousand people every day it could be star wars one of the biggest things of of history of cinematic history somebody could be finding about that finding out about that for the first time today why do why do we go and ridicule those types of people instead of welcoming welcoming them to the fold and saying welcome you're among like um you know like-minded people so it, it's just it really frustrates me as you can probably tell well um i was reading somewhere that Someone else was saying that Bridgerton, for some people of color, is the first exposure that they've ever had of the Regency era because other period dramas are so white that it doesn't it didn't feel accessible to them or it didn't feel like they saw themselves in it. It wasn't stories of of representations of people that they grew up with. Yeah. And so for then critics um, saying these awful things about Bridgerton and Sanditon and things just because they are a lot cheesier than other shows, so many people are em embracing these period dramas and enjoying them for the first time. Full groups of people that never had exposure to yeah, it exactly. are enjoying it. And so just, just leave, let us them. leave us alone and let us enjoy what we want to enjoy, okay? One of my favorite authors, um, I believe... Uh, at one point said to someone like yes i know that i'm writing popcorn it's yeah. it's not canonical classical literature 
I know that, but I like that. So, you know, so what? You know, because they were trying to say the same kind of thing. Let people make what they want to make. It doesn't have to be fantastic, but it is art. And it, it is like a form of entertainment and of creativity that should be lauded and welcomed. And in this day and age, when the world is falling apart, a little bit of enjoyment is what we need. So. Exactly. So thank you, listeners, for being with us for this episode of Regency Rumours, where we discussed season two, episode two of Bridgerton, Off to the Races. I don't know if I have anything else to say other than I'm just still annoyed about the whole people poo-pooing what I like. If you would like to rant, join our Facebook group. Yeah. Rant with us. Rant with us. Um, I think that's about it, isn't it? That's, that's about it. I'm, I'm going to go watch some Sanditon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, rip the proverbial band-aid off and go watch it. Go for it. Thank you. And you know what you're going to do. You're going to watch it with me. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. See you next time.